there's a great debate raging in the Christian world. A debate I refuse to get bogged down in. It's a theological debate over how God saves, whom God saves, whom he does not save, how he saves. The question always is posed, if he loves all, if he loves the whole world, why does he only save some? Well, if you've got your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to look with me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and please understand that's where we're going to begin, but Shortly, we're going to move from there over to Romans chapter 3, and we're going to spend some time there. But I want you to understand, church family, please, please hear my heart. There is strong direction, undeniable instruction for the preaching of the Word of God and evangelistic effort. We find recorded in Matthew chapter 28 the words of the Great Commission where Jesus came to his disciples and said, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. A similar mandate is recorded in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 where Mark records Jesus saying, go into all the world and preach the good news to all of creation. Luke gives us a similar record in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where Jesus, preparing to ascend, said to his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. What Jesus was doing through those instructions, whichever rendering you prefer to read or listen to this morning, is he was placing upon the body of Christ, the church, his bride, a call. A call to ministry, a call, a call to take a message of hope. A message of repentance and forgiveness and cleansing and new life and make sure that it was delivered to the whole world. You see, our ministry, our calling from the lips of our Savior Jesus Christ is to be certain that everyone hears the message of the Savior. To make certain that everyone has the opportunity not only to hear the message, but a chance to understand the message. That there will be a moment in time for them when the Spirit of God may call them to repentance and invite them to salvation. Now, let me just make a statement. Individuals are still responsible to respond. And not everyone who hears the good news of Jesus Christ is going to receive or accept God's gift of grace. I know it's not a popular thing to say, but I say it anyway. Free will was a part of God's creative genius. He gave us the opportunity to accept his love or to reject his love. 
The Apostle Paul committed himself to the task of getting the message of Jesus Christ to as many as he possibly could in his lifetime, wherever he went. And he explained how he engaged in that ministry, and I think gives us some good instruction as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want us to look together there for a moment at just a few verses, verses 19 through 22. I want you to see what Paul's understanding of his task and how he was going to go about it. I want you to see how that looks in Paul's own words. If you've got your Bible open to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, find verse 19. Once you've done that, if you can and will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning in honor of God's holy word as we read together. Paul is giving explanation of his ministry. He says, though I am free and belong to no man... I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. Look at those words again. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. Not all, but some. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning I ask you to bless the reading of your word. And Father, I just simply ask that in these moments you would give us a sense of clarity, a sense of understanding that as we consider your truth and what you do and how you're doing it and how you use your church to accomplish your task, I pray, Father, that if there is one here who does not have a relationship with you, that through the hearing of the word, your Holy Spirit would convict them of sin, convince them of the Savior, and draw them to you. And Father, I pray for your bride the body of Christ, that today you would challenge us to step forward and to accomplish that which you have called us to, to be your hands and your feet, to be your voice, giving hope to a world that is hopeless, giving righteousness to a world that is in decay. Father, help us to hear your voice, to know your will, and to walk together in it speak to our hearts father for we're ready to listen but we pray and ask this in jesus name and all god's people said amen you may be seated i don't know how else to say this except to simply tell you paul understood the task as being this to share the gospel with as many people as possible using all means available to secure the salvation of some. 
that means undertaking every imaginable task in every imaginable way in every possible locale in order to make sure that the gospel was heard that's the goal of every Christian ministry. That is the goal of every mission effort. That is the goal of every evangelistic work, to secure the salvation of those who hear and respond to the call of God. It doesn't matter what methodologies are involved. I mean, listen, here's the reality. I know that there are people in this room who this past week have shared their testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. I know that for a fact because there are those sitting in this room who have been up at the state fair and they've been working with the horseshoe ministry. There are those who have been up there beating on the anvils and beating names into horseshoes so that people would sit and listen to a presentation of the gospel while they were waiting for their horseshoe to be completed so they could take it home. And by the way, it's much better if you beat on the horseshoe than on your fingers. Amen, John? There are those who sat at tables and took names and pass them back. You see, there are people who are involved in different parts of ministry. That's just one ministry. Engaged in different parts of that ministry in order that the gospel be shared and people have the opportunity to understand. Not everyone responds. They say, well, how do you know that? Because I know how our horseshoe ministry works. Let me tell you what, uh, this morning, my text from Brother Lawrence said this. In the last week, 2,400 horseshoes have been given out. Now, forget the horseshoes. That means that in the last week, 2,400 individuals from all over the state of Kansas who happened to find themselves in Hutchinson on the state fairgrounds heard a clear, precise presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that's amazing. But out of those 2,400, 260 people have prayed to receive Christ. Man, I rejoice in that. Heaven rejoices in that. But what about the other 2,140? Oh, we pray that seeds have been planted. That maybe some water was put on seed that already existed. And that somewhere down the road in the future that the Spirit of God will call them. But here's the reality. We don't know what's going to happen in that regard. Our job is to share the gospel and then see what God does. He is in the business of saving people. We're in the business of working with him. Why is this important? Why would I talk about this? Well, let me explain it to you the best I can. And maybe we can shift from Paul's methodology, generality that he uses there in, in chapter 9. And we can look over into Romans chapter 3 and see what Paul had to say. Because you see, he begins what I want to look at in chapter 3 by saying simply this. Man has a problem. And man's problem is sin. Man's problem is sin. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23... Probably all of you know this verse. You certainly should. You've heard it enough right here. Paul said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have a sin problem, folks. I know we all wish we could avoid this topic. It's not popular, and it certainly isn't comfortable. Sin is a word we would like to avoid. Sin is a topic we don't want to address. 
In fact, mankind has struggled with this whole concept and idea of sin for centuries. And finally, we have reached a place of, forgive me, of enlightenment and intellect. That's, by the way, sarcastic use of the words. We have reached a place of enlightenment and intellect where we believe that we no longer have to accept that there is an absolute standard of right and wrong. There are no moral absolutes. What that means is everyone is free to define for themselves what is right or what is wrong. If they want something to be wrong, they can say it's wrong. But listen, if you say something's wrong, you're opening the door. So let's just avoid that altogether. Let's stay on this right page. Let's, let's stay there with that concept of saying, it's okay for me because I'm all right with it. Since sin is a problem that's common to all people, if we allow every person to make their own determination of what is right or wrong or if anything is wrong at all, we can set everyone free from the shackles of guilt. There's one problem with that statement. I want you to hear me very, very clearly this morning. Mankind does not need to be set free from the shackles of guilt. Mankind needs to be set free from the shackles of sin. Jesus made no bones about it. You say, well, Jesus didn't, didn't preach it. Really? You remember that woman that was brought before him that was caught in the act of adultery? Man, he defended her. He stood to her defense. He was on her side. But do you remember what he told her when everyone else had left and he was sending her away? Go and sin no more. He didn't say what you did was okay. He said, go and sin no more. Folks, we don't want to talk about sin because it gets too personal too fast. And it ought to because what does God's word say? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We do not measure up to God's expectation for his creation. Listen, we can deny sin's existence, but denial doesn't mean it's any less of a reality. You can deny that you're in pain, but you're still hurting. You can deny that, that you were involved in an accident, but it doesn't change the fact of the damage that is around you. You can deny that sin is real, but it does not change the fact that you are a sinner, and so am I. Deny it, call it okay, label it as right or good or acceptable. It is still sin in the eyes of a holy God, and sin causes problems. Sin causes problems. It, it, it creates sorrow and suffering. Ultimately, it brings death. And by the way, I want you to understand something. Whenever it says the wages of sin is death, it's talking about a spiritual death, but it also affects our physical well-being. People die physically because of sin. That's tragic, but that's nothing compared to the tragedy of dying eternally, spiritually, separated from God because of sin. Sin brings all types of horrific things into the world. Causes problems. Through all the years of ministry, I want to tell you something. Almost all of the people who come through my office and they're struggling with guilt, they're struggling with regrets, it's all the result of sin. It's a result of, of actions that they took, of, of decisions that they made, and, and the sin that they engaged in. You look across our, our landscape of our culture today, turn on the news. The root cause of all of the crime in every one of our communities is sin. 
The primary reason for the pain and the suffering of individuals, no matter where they are, is sin. And there is no remedy for man's sin problem except for the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even in the first century, the church knew that. Peter stood before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. And he looked at those, his Jewish kinsmen, and he told them salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. Man's problem is sin. God's plan is redemption. If you happen to have turned over to Romans chapter 3, I want you to look. Because in verse 23, Paul explains man's problem. And then he goes on. And I want you to hear this. He starts in verse 23 and he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now verse 24 and verse 25. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. Most people don't read these verses. Through faith in his blood, he did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. I just want to tell you something about my Jesus. I hope he's yours too. But I want you to hear me. His coming to this earth, dying, being buried, resurrected, that was God's plan all along. It was. It, it, it wasn't some surprise attack that God launched at the last minute, unbeknownst to anyone else. This was God's plan all along. He first announced this plan to mankind about the Redeemer while man was still in the Garden of Eden shortly after sin had come among us. Y'all know what the oldest book in the Bible is chronologically? Job. Job was a righteous man and he fell under the punishment of sin. And all kinds of horrible things happened to him. You can read his story. I hope you will read his story. But Job, while he was suffering on a pile of ashes, made a statement. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And one day he will stand upon this earth. Do you know how he knew that? The Father had said it. Jesus was already alive. He was already the Redeemer. It just had not been made full yet. The prophet Isaiah, some 600 years before the arrival of Messiah, prophesied about redemption. In chapter 52, in verse 3, he said, This is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. And he was exactly right. He goes on in chapter 53 and he talks about the wounded Redeemer, the suffering Savior. And then Peter comes along centuries later 
And he explains what this means. You were sold for nothing and without money you will be redeemed. You see, Peter said, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish, without defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. You're bought back without money. Yeah, no money. The blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb. That, my friends, was God's plan. And that plan was in place long before creation ever occurred. Did you look at what it said there? What did Peter write? He was chosen before the creation of the world. Scripture is abundantly clear. The cross was no mistake. And it was not an afterthought with God. In Psalm 22, David wrote about the suffering of the Savior. He gives record to the events of the crucifixion centuries before that event occurred. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, Jesus is described as the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. It was already a foregone conclusion. It was done even though it had not yet happened because God said it would occur. That was God's plan. And the reason is simple. He knew that only through the arrival and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ could man's sin problem ever be fixed. Do you believe Jesus is alive today? That's so weak. Do you believe Jesus is alive today? My friend, I want to tell you something. If you believe that, then you ought to have this assurance that he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He is our intercessor at the right hand of the Father. If this is God's plan and if we are God's people, how can we possibly neglect to fulfill our part in sharing the message of the Redeemer with those who need to be redeemed? God has given so much for us. And he has given so much to us. He gave his son And we should willingly and gladly do our part, whatever that might be, whatever that calls us to engage in, in order to make sure that the gospel is shared with the lost so that they might hear and come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. I had someone tell me not long ago, preacher, we don't need to do that anymore. Excuse me? We don't need to do that anymore. See, I was reading a book, and it told me that God is going to save those whom he is going to save. We don't have to do that anymore. There's a picture of a coffee mug floating around on Facebook. I haven't ordered it, but i got to get it. It's a coffee mug that on the side it says, please do not mistake your Google search with my theology degree. (laughs) 
And my friend, if you believe that we do not need to be sharing Jesus, I want to encourage you, get off of Google and open God's Word and begin to read it. Because God will tell you something totally different than whatever that theologian who wrote that silly book is going to tell you. I want you to understand, we are to be like Jesus. Well, what did Jesus do? Have you ever read, have you ever read Matthew 11? Have you ever gotten to the back part of that chapter where Jesus looked at those people gathered around him and said, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, worn out, heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. You ever read that? I was reading that the other day and it just struck me come to me how many times do you see words like that coming out of the mouth of Jesus he's been pleading and inviting all along the way throughout his earthly ministry our Lord Jesus Christ was an inviting Savior a welcoming Messiah we his people are to be engaged in being like him you find him from the very beginnings of the gospel when he started his ministry, he walks along the beach. He looks at the disciples. And what does he say? Come, follow me. There were some others who were trailing along after him. They wanted to know, where's this guy staying at? Come and see. He was continually inviting people to come and follow after him, to seek after the kingdom of God. He invited sinners to come to him and be saved. Passing through Jericho. There was that rich man, Zacchaeus. Oh, he was rich, but he was lost and up a tree. And Jesus called him down and said, come. Come, we need to spend some time together. Or, or that, that religious, respected leader named Nicodemus who came to him at night. He came wanting to understand, trying to, to figure it out. And Jesus told him, look, you're going to have to exercise some faith. You must be born again. Or that woman at the well, <laughs> he challenged her to ask him for what only he could offer. John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus extended an invitation to any and all to be saved when he said, come to me, all you who are weary. Excuse me, let me back, move forward. Get us, get us forward one, here we go. All that the Father gives me, get this, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Did you get that? All that the Father gives to me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Friend, listen, I'm not sure exactly how God saves. I'm not sure exactly who God saves. And I don't think any of us have got it figured completely out. I just know this. He saves. He saves completely. He uses his people to take the message to those who need to hear. He draws to himself those who will respond. They come to him in response of faith and conviction and repentance. And he says, when you come to me, I'm never going to drive you away. 
You can read further over in John and you hear him saying, no one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father, we're one. Folks, I want to tell you something. Man has a problem. It's sin. God has a plan. It's redemption. And the Savior is pleading. He's always been pleading. And today, I want you to hear me. Jesus is still pleading, inviting, and calling his truth still pierces the hearts of sinners with conviction. His offer of forgiveness is still creating a sense of longing, a, a hunger, a, a yearning within the hearts of those whose lives have been shattered by sin, who are longing to be whole. And Jesus is still doing what only Jesus can do. Too often, he's left waiting while we decide whether we're going to or not going to. Are we going to engage or not engage? Are we going to be involved or not going to be involved? Are we going to do what he's called us and commissioned us to do or not? Now, I know that probably there's somebody in this room right now who's sitting here and saying, man, preacher, you've been going down this road for two months. Don't you think it's time to get off? Hear me. I will get off of this road when I die. All right? I had a person tell me one time, not in this congregation, praise the Lord, but in another church that I pastored, wasn't there long. Preacher, I think you're crazy. You want us to turn into a bunch of fanatics. Okay. I accept that. I accept that. Because if that's true, and I pray that it is, that means I'm in good company. Then what do you mean by that? Let me show you. I just want you to listen. Would you listen? You might want to turn there because some of y'all are going to like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, beginning at verse 13. Second Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God... If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one with a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. I've always thought I was a little crazy. Now I know it to be true. And it's okay. Because I'm crazy about Jesus. Oh, but listen. Long before I was crazy about Jesus, he was crazy about me. I love him. But he loved me first. And my friend, he loves you. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with your heavenly father, I want you to know you can't have. God loves you. And he wants to bring you into fellowship with him. But you can't get there by being good enough. And you can't get there by following a set of rules or putting your name in in membership at a certain church. You can't get there by putting your name in the phone book. You can only get into a relationship with your heavenly father through his son, Jesus Christ. What that involves is really pretty simple. It's understanding that we're sinners. We all are. That's what Romans 3, 23 says. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We acknowledge our sin, but we can't just say, oh, I'm a sinner, I'm sorry. We have to repent of our sin. That's a word that gets left out a lot today, and I'm not going to leave it out. It means that we are going to turn away from our sin, and we are going to pursue Christ with all of our hearts for the remainder of our lives. You've got to turn from sin and turn to him. You surrender your will to him and you begin to learn his ways and live his ways and do his ways. And what did Paul say? He'll make you a new creation. This morning, this morning he offers you life. He offers you a new beginning. He offers to make you a new creation if you'll let him. Preacher, I don't know if I'm one of the elect. Well, if God's calling you, you are. So quit playing with the words and worrying about the definitions and come to Jesus. Is there a longing in your heart? Is there a yearning to know him? Come to Jesus. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let me, let me speak to you, the church, for just a moment. Simple. Are we ready? Are we willing to become all things to all people? so that some might be saved? Are you prepared to use every means available to see people come to Christ? Are we doing what it takes? Will we? When will we begin? It is time for the church to 
act like the church. It is time for the bride of Christ to rise up, point its finger toward Jesus and say, that is my groom. I love him with all my heart. I will serve him as long as I have breath. I will not turn. Church, are you ready to make that proclamation? Then let's let the Spirit of God bind us together and let's do it. So that all may hear and some may be saved. And our Master will be glorified. Let's bow our heads together. It's not right. It's not right to come into God's house to worship him, to open his word, consider what it says, and not give people an opportunity to respond to the word of God or the voice of the Spirit. And so this morning, in just a moment, we're going to pray, and then we're going to stand. We're going to sing a song of commitment. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ, listen, your name may be on the church roll. Your name may be on a Sunday school roll. You may look in the mirror every day and say, oh, I'm a good person. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about, do you know Jesus? Does Jesus know you? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Today, this morning, would you cry out to him in confession and repentance? Would you let him make you a new creation? A new person from the inside. You're still going to look the same on the outside. But he'll make you something new and beautiful on the inside. Would you let him do that for you? Would you surrender your will to his and say, I'm going to follow him from now on. I'm going to pursue him with all my heart, with all my passion. When we stand and sing, if that's your heart, I want to invite you. Come, take me by the hand. I will not embarrass you or put you on the spot, but I just want to share with you from God's Word how you can become a new creation this morning. I want to pray with you and for you. Would you let us do that? Perhaps, perhaps this morning, you're here, and you're saying, I'm a child of God, but I've not... I've not gotten connected to the bride the way I should. I need to be a part of this body. I need to be a part of this church. I need to be serving alongside these people. If God's calling you, would you come? Maybe, maybe you're his child, but you've wandered away. Oh, I'll tell you, I, I, I'd love to preach again. I love the story of the prodigal. I love the picture of our daddy out on the porch waiting for us, looking for us, longing for us to come back. Maybe he's calling you this morning. Would you come home? Would you come back and let him restore and renew your relationship? Whatever it is that, that he might be calling you to, whatever it is he might be trying to do, would you just hear his voice and be obedient? Father, I thank you this morning for your word. A word that challenges us, that calls us, that invites us. Oh God, we have a problem. We have a horrific sin problem in our lives, in, in, in our community, in our nation, in our world. We can't fix it. 
We've tried to explain it away. We've tried to rationalize it. We've tried to say it's okay. It's not real. But it is. We're broken. And we're in bondage. And I rejoice this morning that you had a plan. You've put that plan into motion through your son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from our sin and set us free. And Father, if there's one here this morning who needs to experience that redemption, I pray that your spirit would call them and call them and call them. Make them miserable, Father, until they hear and obey. Jesus, thank you for inviting, for pleading, for calling. Then and now. Father, I believe that today you're calling some in this place. Give us ears to hear. Hearts that will be obedient to respond. Have your way in our lives. And Father, be glorified in what you do here today. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name.